Well, this morning's topic for me has new meaning. We're talking about grief. In this past year, 2023, I lost both of my parents. I found kind of a strange uh, reflexive experience occurring, such as during the holidays. I began to think, well, I, I need to mark out some time when I can get down to North Carolina and check on my folks and then realize, no, no, I won't be doing that anymore. Or Sundays when I go home from church. After the last service, when I leave the building, go out to the car, my pattern for years now, Sunday, going home, pull out my phone, Siri, call mom and dad. Oh, hold that, Siri. <laughs> hold that. Some of your folk, or some of your phones might be calling mom and dad right now because I just said that. It heard Siri and it might go into automation mode there. I've heard surgeons say that uh, amputees have what they call phantom feelings, where they still have the sensation of a limb that is there. I think grief is a little bit like that. But still, the grief of losing elderly parents is quite different from other kinds of grief. The grief of losing a spouse, whether by death, by divorce, separation, or losing a child by death, or a child who leaves you. There are very significant kinds of grief. I haven't experienced, so I'm grateful for people in our church who have shared with me about their experiences of grief. They've shared what they found helpful, what was not so helpful. And through this message, I'm gonna share a lot of places where they offer comments about grief. I found their descriptions of the experience of grief very vivid and very powerful. One person said it's like being plunged into ice cold water and struggling to come up for air. Another used the very popular image of standing in the surf and every now and then a wave knocks you over. He went on to say, over time the waves come further apart. Another simply said, grief can feel like you've been torn in half. And several years ago, I remember talking to a woman whose husband had died about a year before. And she said, grief makes you feel invisible. I spoke recently with a mom who a few years ago had an adult son die of cancer and now more recently another son who took his life. She said, grief in every circumstance is unique because it depends on the situation, the relationship, what happened. But then she said, grief does come to everyone and if I've learned anything so far, it's that I need to learn how to make friends with grief because when it moves in, it doesn't leave. How do you make friends with grief? Our story in the scripture today is about a woman who was a lesser known figure in the Bible, but she plays a most prominent role. Her name is Naomi. She and her husband and their two adult sons who were Jewish lived in another country, the country of Moab. The two sons married women of that country and they all lived together in the same house and it seems as if life was wonderful, things went well until 
Naomi's husband died. And then a short time after that, both of her sons died. And to have that amount of grief in a short time would be bad enough. But consider also, this was a period in which women had no rights except what came through a husband or a brother or a son. Deprived of all of these, she was facing destitution. So Naomi decided to go back to her homeland. Now her two daughters-in-law were named Ruth and Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, who came from the biblical city of Chicago. (laughs) Ruth and Orpah said, we're going with you. But Naomi stopped and said, of course you're not. You're both young, you can get remarried and have families of your own. Go to your own homes, go back to the families you came from, go to your people. Orpah finally consented and left, but Naomi, I mean, but Ruth, no, she would not leave Naomi. In fact, she spoke words to her you might recognize. Do not press me to leave you to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. We hear that sometimes at a wedding, but they weren't spoken from a wife to her husband. They were spoken from a woman to her mother-in-law. They were locked in grief together. And Ruth was saying to Naomi, I won't leave your side. I will stick with you. Naomi was an ordinary woman who had dreams for her life, dreams of being a wife, a mother, a grandmother, of loving and caring for her family. Her faith was important to her. She wanted to pass on that faith to her family, but one day it all swiftly changed when grief hit her with hurricane force. And it not only robbed her of her dream, it put her future in jeopardy. But she had a thread, a thread of grace, a thread of compassion, a thread of hope. Because Ruth refused to leave her. So they go back to Bethlehem, the hometown of Naomi. And when they arrive, it kind of sends the whole town into a stir. People said, is this Naomi? And Naomi speaks to them, but it's really not like Naomi is talking. It's like her grief is doing the talking. Look at what she says. Do not call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. She said, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Emptiness is what she felt. Emptiness was her condition, but it was not the condition of her entire life. That was her grief speaking. And when grief speaks... It speaks to the reality of our moment, not the reality of our lives. So the interesting thing about Naomi in this story 
is how people let her speak it. When you read that part of the story, she does not get corrected. Nobody tries to change her mind. Nobody says, no, no, now, now, Naomi. They don't, they don't offer cheap condolence. Now, Naomi, oh, excuse me, Mara, your husband, your sons, they're in a much better place now. God's going to look after you. When I call that cheap condolence, I do not mean it's untrue. I mean that Naomi's not ready for that yet. She might get there, but right now she, she needs to be heard. She needs to have what she feels in the moment recognized and understood that's part of the healing process. To be able to speak what you're feeling no matter how unpleasant it is. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her landmark work on the stages of grief said anger, denial, that's all a part of the process. It's what gets you to acceptance. And to have people who let you do that well, let me let you speak. This is what some in our congregation said they found very, very helpful. In fact, one person wrote to offer advice to anybody who's walking with another person through grief. She said, listen, listen, listen. Short of homicidal or suicidal intentions, accept what people say as their truth. Don't give advice, false reassurance, timetables, or try to fix a situation. Just listen. As the story goes on, the story writer continues to use the name Naomi. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Naomi said, don't call me that again. She wanted to be called by another name, but the writer didn't use the other name. The writer continued to talk about her as Naomi because it understood that the condition of her moment was not the condition of her life. Again, somebody in our church who went through grief over the loss of a child some years ago said, it's good to celebrate that the event that caused the grief is not the final event. Grief changes our stories. It is not the end of them. So let's look at how Naomi's story continues. We find out that when they got to Bethlehem, it was the barley festival. So Ruth went out to glean in a field behind the harvesters. Harvesters were employed by the owner of a field. And so she went out to glean what was left in the margins. In the Old Testament, owners are commanded, when you reap your produce, don't reap it all the way to the edge of the field so that you take every last bite for yourself. Leave some for the poor. Leave some for the marginalized. Leave some for the foreigners who are in your midst. Whoever owns this field observes Torah. So Ruth is there going behind the harvesters, reaping what is in the margins. And then we find out that the owner of the field is a man named Boaz. And he says to his workers, 
look after this woman. Make sure she's protected. Give her more than what she gleans. And at the end of the day, when she meets this man, she asks, why have you shown me kindness? And he says to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Isn't that just like a small town? Everybody knows everything about everyone. And sometimes it works to your advantage. When Ruth got back to Naomi that evening, she told about what happened. And Naomi asked, did you get the man's name? And she said the man's name. Now, I want you to listen to Naomi's response. And I'm going to read this in the message translation because I think it captures it the most powerfully. Why, God bless that man. God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. Naomi went on, that man, Ruth, is one of our circle of covenant redeemers, a close relative of ours. Some of you are going through a hard time right now. Some of you are going through grief. Some of you are still living with grief you've experienced some time ago. I want you to hear Naomi's words again. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. Do you feel the tone in her voice? I know these are just words on a page. But you have to imagine the tone. The last time Naomi spoke about her situation in life, she said, the Lord has simply caused me bitterness. She's a bitter woman, but she's allowed to speak it. And now when she speaks, oh, God hasn't walked out on us after all. You can feel the hopefulness in her voice. What we we learn about grief at this point is that grief is a process. Grief can be a long journey and we need people who make the journey with us. That's what helps us in grief. To have people who will journey with us in the pro- who, who won't just be with us, they will be willing to enter into the grief with us, to share our tears with us, to feel our hurt and our emptiness. That's what Naomi had in Ruth. And that's what many of you once again said made a difference in your journey of grief. One person said, the most important influence on my progression through grief was active weekly participation in a support group specifically for the loss of a spouse. Another said, I was blessed to have wonderful, supportive friends and family around me, holding me up at every juncture. What helped was not just having them listen, but to actually hear me and try to understand what I was feeling. No one tried to talk me into feeling any different. They just supported those feelings and did not judge. This is called the ministry of presence. And it is some of the hardest ministry to practice, right, Stephen ministers? It's hard because we want to help people. We want them not to hurt. 
We so want to say the right thing so someone will stop crying. But what can happen is we can just run over a a person's emotions like a bulldozer. As if to say what they're feeling in the moment is something that they should not feel and not care after all. But the power of just walking with somebody, listening to them. A young mom in our church had the experience of losing twin babies at birth. In the work that she does, she's involved with other parents who have children. She found that her experience of grief gave her a unique ability to minister to other parents who go through similar circumstances. And what she discovered is a comfort in being uncomfortable. A comfort in simply being there to be with people when they're hurting. To not have the answers, to not explain it, just to be there and to, and to feel like this is where God wants her to be. Something else that people in our church who've gone through grief shared with me, almost across the board, every person, They said, what helps us is to hear people talk about our loved one who died. They said, many people want to avoid the topic because they're so afraid that if they bring up the person's name and a tear comes to my eye, that it's causing me pain. They said, just the opposite. When people talk about my loved one, it's like they're still here. That their life didn't just disappear all of a sudden. That their life mattered. Naomi, ordinary woman who goes through grief but has somebody to go with her and comes to a hopeful place again, then experiences what is perhaps the most important part of her grief journey. Ruth and Boaz get married. And they have a baby. And the baby is placed in Naomi's arms. I want to jump to the end of the story and let you hear what happens. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who was more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi got to experience raising a child who would be the grandfather of King David, the one who was promised would be the ancestor of a future heir who would be the Messiah, whom we call Jesus, who would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. But that journey, that journey started out of emptiness. 
Listen to these words by the ancient Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu. Thirty spokes share the hub of a wheel, yet, at, yet it is its center, which is void, that makes it useful. You can mold clay into a bowl, yet it is its emptiness that makes the bowl useful. Cut out doors and windows from the walls of a house, but the ultimate use of the house will depend on that part where nothing exists. Therefore, something is shaped into what is, but its usefulness comes from what is not. You don't start there, but you can get there. And understand that God can bring good out of grief. God can bring good out of grief. Some years ago, I conducted the funeral of an 18-year-old in our church named Cameron Powell. One morning, Cameron got up to go to school and he took a Xanax tablet he had gotten to help calm his nerves before going to class. His parents did not know that he did this, and Cameron himself did not know that that Xanax tablet had been laced with fentanyl. He started feeling sick at school. It wasn't recognized what was going on. They sent him home. He went to his grandmother's and went to bed, and that evening he died. The family, as you can imagine, was just thrown into tremendous grief. Cameron's mother, Amy, began spending that first year trying to figure out what happened, talking to the police, learning about the person who sold this tablet to her son, wanting justice. But after one year, getting to a place where she realized all of this was beyond her control, there was only so much she could do. She recognizes that there was just this huge emptiness. But she had a friend who was involved with an organization called Overdose Lifeline. She learned that they help people going through similar situations, so she got involved. She got involved in the advocacy of helping teachers and school nurses learn more about the subject of opioid medications and what they can do to people and to have the drug available at every school so that when this happens to a child, the receiving of that drug can prevent death. But right now, there's no law in the state of Indiana that requires such. So she's gotten involved. And now she's become a peer grief volunteer where she works with other parents and other people who have lost loved ones, many of them children, to overdoses and relates out of what's happened in her life. And it's given her meaning and it has helped her. Her story was told on the cover of the Indy Star less than two weeks ago. And it communicates the power of how she bravely allowed her grief to become something God can use to help other people and to help her. Amy is with us today with her grandmother back there in the back. Are you, where are you, Amy? There you are. Amy, do you mind just standing up for a moment so that we can recognize you this morning? I know I didn't forewarn you of that, but what an act of courage. 
you don't start at that place in grief, but it can become that. And we can hope for that and we can believe that. Naomi held a little baby in her arms. That was not her dream. This was not her biological child. But she held in her arms one who would be the grandfather of the king of Israel, who would be the ancestor of a future Messiah, who would carry the griefs and the sorrows of people, by whose death and resurrection would give hope that the final outcome of our world is and will be life. Horatio Spafford believed that. His family had traveled to England from America on a ship many years ago. And it had been struck by another boat and the ship sank. Their four children were drowned except for his wife. She survived. When he took a ship to go meet her in London and it came to the place where the captain said, this is where the boat went down and your children drowned. He wrote a hymn, it is well with my soul. How does one write that? Maybe because you believe in realities you don't feel in the present. But one day, Horatio Spafford and his wife would feel God wanting to use their grief to do something for other homeless children. And they would go to Jerusalem and build a children's home that for more than a century cared for children without families. We never can see it in the moment, but God can. And God can use all of our experiences for his glory. So let us close as we stand and sing together.